All right, God bless you. What a thrill and a joy. Miss Connie and Joel, what good testimonies. I echo what the preacher had to say. She said she was nothing, God's everything. Isn't that true? I've always thought myself as a zero with the rim rubbed off without the Lord. Amen. But thank God we're some, something in Him. We're His child. Praise the Lord. Well, it's a delight to be here. Thank the Lord for the missionaries and the children. Boy, I, I, we used to have, we had bus ministry. We used to bring all of our kids in. We had bus Sunday and fill up the platform and all like y'all did today. And I tell you, I believe that pleases Jesus, don't y'all? I believe the Lord looks down and said, they're letting the little ones come to me. Amen. And that's what we got to do. Praise the Lord for that. Well, I know time is fleeing, but uh, it's kind of like the old boy. that He was a long-winded preacher. I mean, he preached just, I mean, I, he preached iron half every Sunday morning. Now, I don't do that. That'll help y'all right there. Amen. But anyway, he was waxing eloquent that Sunday morning, and there was an old boy visiting the church, sitting right over here about where that brother is. And he'd been preaching about an hour, hour and ten minutes, and the, old, the visitor just stood right up and shouted out, Preach on, Pharaoh, preach on. And the guy said, praise the Lord, I never get my people to egg me on to preach longer, so I believe I will. So he kept on preaching. And a minute the visitor stood up and said, preach on, Pharaoh, preach on. He thought to himself while he's preaching, wonder what the fellow means. I guess he wants me to keep on, but anyway. So the third time, the visitor, about an hour and 20 minutes in the message, jumped up and said, preach on, Pharaoh, preach on. Finally, the preacher just stopped and looked at him and said, brother, we're glad to have you visiting with us this morning. And you hollered out, Preach on Pharaoh, preach on. He said, brother, what do you mean by that? He said, well, Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go either. Amen. <laughs> so anyway, I hope nobody won't stand up and holler, preach on Pharaoh, before I get through here today. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, Matthew chapter 9. I had two messages on my heart, and I'm praying that the one I chose is the one the Lord's chosen. Amen. Uh, I want to preach this morning on the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest in Matthew 9, verse 35 you know, when you think about the word harvest, you find it in Old Testament, New Testament, and you find the word harvest used in four different ways. One of the primary, of course, you know it's used of a crop, but one of the primary ways it's used is of the people of the world is likened by God to a harvest. And the thing that a harvest has to have, it has to have laborers to go out and gather it. Now, sheep need to be guided, but a harvest needs to be gathered, Amen. And uh, the harvest is precious to the Lord. In fact, I believe the harvest... And by the way, there's another way it's used, and that is the coming judgment when the sickle of God will be put into this world's harvest and people will be reaped uh, under wrath and judgment. That's going to be a sad day. But anyway, the, the harvest and the coming judgment, uh, I believe, was one of the most motivating forces in the heart and life of our Lord Jesus when He was here on planet Earth. I believe it still is, by the way. It so moved our Lord, the peoples of the world, whether it be in Statesville, whether it be on the Amazon River, South America, wherever it's at, Zambia or Haiti or wherever it's at. It so moved the Lord that He left the worship of heaven to come to the woes of this old earth, to seek and to save that which is lost. And I'm glad to be a, a tiny, icy part of what God is doing in this world. I'm glad that... I'm a tiny, icy part of this church because you folks support me and we want to thank you for that. You've been very gracious and faithful and thank you for it. But I want us to look, if I could, at three things in this passage this morning in Matthew 9. And uh, follow me if you would. In fact, the first verse there gives three patterns or three things that summarizes our Lord's ministry. 
Now I get the title of the message down in verse 38 where it uses the Lord of the harvest. But let's begin reading in verse 35. See if you can pick out these three things here. That's not the message, but in the introduction. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages doing three things. Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, the harvest. By the way, there are two metaphors or examples here. One is of sheep, one is of harvest. When he saw them, the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest, the people of the world, truly is plenteous, but we've got a problem. Same problem we have today. The laborers are few. Solution. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Heavenly Father, I bless your name today. I thank you for this wonderful service, the great night we had last night. All of the good singing, the testimonies. And now, Lord, the people have come and they wait upon you to give them warm bread from the oven of the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to preach the Bible and help it to be preached as my old prayer warrior said. Have power with it. Oh, Spirit of God, do something in this church. I commend them, Lord. And I believe you're pleased with the emphasis they have on missions here. But if they're like me in our church years ago, Lord, we can always do more. So I pray that you'll stir our hearts today in Christ's name. Amen. Look at the, look at the first three words. I want you to underline two of them. And Jesus went. I want, us, I want us to look first of all, three things about our Lord. First of all, our Lord's commission. You say the Lord was commissioned. Yes, he was commissioned by the Heavenly Father. Now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal in every way. The Trinity, we believe in that. But the Bible says that in, in John 20, that the Father commissioned, and Jesus said it this way, He said, as the Father has sent me, then He looked at His people, and He said, so, in like manner, so send I you. And I believe we see our Lord's commission and our Lord's life on planet earth as an example for every one of us. Now look at that first statement. The Bible said, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Now when you think about that, you say, Well, that's what's so important, what's so significant about that. Well, if you uh, think about Jesus went, Jesus could have and could have been rightly, rightly so, and He could have done this. He could have come to Jerusalem, set up a, 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 a throne, he could have put out a welcome sign and he said, I want everybody in the world to know and he'd sent couriers out. And he said, I want you to go out and just tell everybody if they need anything, if they'll come to me, I'll help them. If they need to be saved, I can save them. If they need to be healed of diseases, I can heal them. If they have issues and problems, I can help them. Y'all come to me. But that is not what the Lord did, though He would heal and He would save people that came to it. But that's not His primary ministry. I love welcome signs in front of churches, don't y'all? Yes. But I want you to know a welcome sign will never win your community to God nor this community to God. But I'm glad you got one if you got one. Amen. But our Lord Jesus went to where the people are. What an example for us. Jesus could have, as God in the flesh, said, Hey, listen, I'm here. I, everybody ought to want to come see me. But He didn't do that. He said He went to all the cities and villages. 
Now, if he was referring only to the ones where he was at in Galilee, there were over 200 cities and villages, and Jesus went to every one of them. You see, Jesus went to where the people were. And I'm telling you, that's what we got to do. I love being at church, don't y'all? I love it when the family sits around the table and listens to music and feeds from the Word. But brother, we got to go where the people are. Jesus was commissioned to go where the people were. He left heaven, came to the earth, and when He got here, He went to where they were. You know, He went to their weddings. He went to the, He worshiped with them in their synagogues. He worked with them on their boats. You'll find Jesus going to funerals. And I will admit he messed up every funeral he went to because you couldn't stay dead in his presence. Amen. And uh, he went to where the children were and mothers would place children in his lap. He went to where the lepers were and nobody else would go, but he went to where they were and he touched them. And so our Lord Jesus Christ went to all kinds of people and he went to all kinds of places. He went to where they were. And can I tell you, it didn't make any difference how intellectual you were, how rich you were. He would come to you. He would let you come to Him like old Nicodemus of old. It didn't make any difference how poor you were. He would go to the poor. It didn't make any difference if you were a woman at a well that had such a reputation, a bad reputation, that mothers would take the hand of their child when they met you. I'm telling you, Jesus did not play favoritism. Amen. I'm glad for God so loved the world. You say, but preacher... People in this world, they look different than I do. I know it. We, we sometimes have a problem with that. Let me tell you, I don't care what color your skin is. God made you that way, man. And it doesn't make any difference what your language is. God can understand every one of them. And it doesn't make any difference what your culture is or where you're at. Brother, we got to go to where the people are. And he did three things when he went. The Bible said he was teaching, preaching, and healing. I believe that's a summary of our Lord's ministry here on this earth. He was teaching, teaching the Word of God, teaching the truth. Then he was preaching the kingdom. The king was there, amen. And he was healing. You say, preacher, why do you think he included this? Well, I, well, he did it. That's one reason he included it. I believe there were two reasons why God healed so many people. The person of Christ did. Number one, aren't you glad God's compassionate? Let me tell you, God is a compassionate God. And He saw the pain and the hurts and the problems of people. And He reached out to them with that compassion. But you know, I'm not sure. I know that was one of the primary reasons He did it. But I know another primary reason that He healed people. Because that was one of the Old Testament credentials of the coming Messiah. You remember what the Old Testament prophets said? Now when He comes, you'll know Him. You'll know who He is. In fact, when He comes, you will see the deaf hearing, the dumb speaking, the blind seeing, and the lame walking. And so our Lord, as the Messiah, when He came to this earth, He fulfilled the credentials. You want to cut this off? Just use the pulpit mic. I think that's me doing all this stuff. I'll just use the pulpit mic if you want to switch over. I like this a little bit, but I can handle this all right. I believe I can. You remember when John the Baptist was in prison. Some people believe he got either discouraged or disillusioned a little bit. He's the one who introduced the Lord, you know, behold the Lamb of God. And he sent his disciples to Jesus and he said, go ask him, is he the one or do we look for another? Now Jesus could easily said, you go back and tell John I'm him. What in the world is he doing questioning me? Go back and tell him I'm the one. But that's not what he did. See, John the Baptist knew the Old Testament Scriptures and the prophets. And so he said, you go back and tell John, you're seeing the blind see and the deaf hear and the dumb speak and the lame walk. And they went back and he was satisfied. Amen. 
I'm glad the Lord Jesus was commissioned to come to this world to seek and to save that which is lost. And he said, as the Father now, Calvary Baptist, as the Father has sent me, he looks at every one of us in this building today and says, so send I you. So send means in like manner, we got to go where the people are. I see the commission of the Lord of the harvest as an example to us. I see not only His commission, but I see another example. I see His compassion. Look at that verse, verse 36. When He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion. You know, I came down the steps this morning from the prayer room, and thank God for prayer rooms. A lot of churches have quit praying having prayer rooms. But I come down the steps, and I saw those little boys on the bus, a little rambunctious, and I thought, I like that. You said you like them being well. I know you got to control and kind of corral them in a little bit. But thank God for the voices and the noise of children in a church like this. That you care about them. Amen. Well, they might put a mark on the wall. You can paint a wall. But if that child loses his eternal soul one day, I'm telling you, that's a sad and a tragic thing. So we see our Lord's compassion. And I believe the Lord's pleased with it. Amen. You see, when the Lord saw this multitude, He saw them different than most of us see people. I know He could see things we can't see, but He saw their hurts and He saw their fears. He saw their hopelessness. He saw their future judgment. He saw them for what they even could be. How do we see people? Have you ever thought about that? I tell you, I'm going to have to, whatever I preach about you today, I'm going to have to raise my hand and join you because I've been guilty of every bit of this. You ever gone to the mall? Sit on a bench in the mall. Maybe your wife's going in a lingerie shop and you don't want to go in there, you know. And you're sitting there. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, you're sitting on a seat out in the hall, out in the mall. And I love shopping with my wife. She was here, she'd tell you. Now, I hate shopping, but I love being with my wife. Amen. Amen. Now, just shopping, that ranks right up there with a root canal. But anyway. <laughs> But I love being with my wife, amen. But you sit on a bench out there and you see people pass by. You know, God has to have a sense of humor. He's created some strange people. You know and, of course, I'm sure as people walk by, they look back at me and say, you see that guy, isn't he nuts? Isn't he strange or something? But anyway, you ever seen a, you ever seen a young man walk by you? Man, the waist of his britches is almost down to his knees. His underwear is showing. He's got markings all over him. I mean, and I'd sit there. You, you've done it. I've done it. And I'd look at him as he passed by and think, oh, boy, if you were my son, you wouldn't dress like that. You wouldn't be out in public like that. I'd straighten you out in about two weeks if you come stay with me. Then a lady, his girlfriend maybe is with him, comes by, and her daddy must work for AT&T because she's got rings all over the place in her nose and everywhere else. Or either a fisherman because she must have fell in his tackle box. She's got hooks (laughs) everywhere. And I see him go by, and I thought, boy, if you were my daughter and my son, you wouldn't look like that. But I believe if Jesus Christ was sitting beside of me, he would have never had a single one of those thoughts. I believe he would have seen deep down into their soul and maybe the emptiness of their heart. And all they need is what God did for me when he saved my soul and changed my life. We got to see people. Boy, a man told me something one time. I'll never forget it. I was, it was old. Anybody know J.T. Lyons, an old missionary? Anybody remember him? Yes, sir. What a, what a, yes sir, the bush pilot wrote the book. He was a great friend of mine the last years of his life. And I'll never forget I was with him and we pulled up to a stop sign. This old boy staggered across the street. He was a drunk, homeless guy. And I said, look at that old sorry drunk, made some kind of little comment like that. And JT was talking, he got right quiet and he didn't say a word. We went on through the stoplight and I looked over there and a tear was coming down his cheek. And I said, JT, what's wrong with you? He said, 
Brother Roger, you're one of my best friends. He said, but we ought not speak about somebody like that. And then, buddy, I could have crawled under anything. I felt like a low-down hill. And he said, all he needs is somebody to love him, preacher. And then a man told me this. He said, you can love anybody. I said, how can you love anybody? He said, you got to see them through the eyes of Jesus. And if you'll see them through the eyes of Jesus, you can love them because God so loved the world. Amen. Doesn't make any difference who they are. So compassion. I remember my granddaddy. I helped preach. I was a young preacher. Just had been called to preach to help with his funeral. But I remember grandmom and granddaddy telling me that too, by the way, as I grew up. But my granddaddy was a wicked man. I mean, when you say a sorry man, he was sorry. My grandmama and my mama told me great stories about him. Not too great, but I mean stories about him. And he was nothing but a drunkard. I mean, he, was, he, he beat his wife, beat grandmama, mistreated the 11 children that he had. He was an old farmer, drunk liquor every day of his life. And he was sorry, and everybody in the community knew he was sorry. But there were three men at Falls Roads Baptist Church in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, that were farmers, and they would meet my granddaddy at Wainwright's warehouse where he sold a biker. And they saw how bad he was, and they just decided that God could conquer my granddaddy. And they began to covet together, and they began to meet together and pray and witness, and my granddaddy would cuss them. I don't want no blankety-blank religion. I don't want to go to no blankety-blank church. And finally, after months of working with him, they were having a revival meeting of all places in Wainwright's warehouse during the lay-by season. Three or four churches had gone in, cleared it out, set up metal chairs, and invited an evangelist in. And they convinced my granddaddy to go one night. Mama said when they got to the house to pick him up, there were three men. He said, granddaddy's told one of the kids, you go tell him I'm not going. I've changed my mind. And that man hollered through the screen door and said, Dub Whitley, that was his name, said, Dub Whitley, you are going. We've come all the way out here and you promised us and we're not going to leave till you go. He hollered back, I don't feel good tonight. The man started beating on his door. He said, I'm going to beat on your door all night long Do you come. So granddaddy finally come. They said when he got in the car, he, was, he could smell the smell of liquor. He wasn't drunk, but he, he drank drunk every day. He said, well, I can sit in the car in here. He said, no, you're going. They said, you're going in. But they were determined, like those four men, they got that man on the roof to Jesus. And uh, they got there, and granddaddy said, well, if I'm going in, we're sitting on the back row. They said, you can sit on the back row. So two of them went in the row. About the middle aisle, he said. And granddaddy said, you go ahead in. I'll sit on the outside. Well, they knew why he was going to do that because he's going to get up and go get him a smoke and leave the service. They said, no, you're going in first. I'll sit over here. And they were going to hem him up. <laughs> and that night, that evangelist preached. I mean, they said he preached heaven sweet and hell hot, preached the gospel, preached on the cross. And that night, Oliver B. Green preached to my granddaddy. And the man sitting on the outside of my granddaddy said that grand, when they were standing singing, that granddaddy started to get out. He said, I literally grabbed him around the waist to keep him from leaving the service. And I looked up, and granddaddy was crying. He said, I felt it safe to let him go. Amen. <laughs> and down the aisle, my granddaddy went. Met an old deacon there, and the deacon led him to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He never drunk another drop. He never beat my grandmama. He never mistreated his children. And within a year, he, had, he, he, he went that Saturday, we went to the whole meeting, well, it was two weeks actually, asked Oliver Green on Saturday morning before Oliver pulled out and said, I need to start a church. There's no church out in the country where I'm at. And Oliver put him into touch with some people. And I remember the first, the first memory of my granddaddy standing on a scaffold 
building, a little block building to have a church in. I'm just saying that God has compassion on everybody. I don't care if he's a drunkard, and I, I don't care who it is. We give up on people just way too quick. Amen. He had compassion on these people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The shepherds of Israel were the leaders of Israel, and they had, instead of helping the people... By the way, that word where it says fainted, you look that up in a good old Strong's Concordance, you'll find that the word has the idea they have been abused, they have been beaten, they have been cut, they've been lacerated. Can I tell you the religious leaders of that day were abusing people just like religion is abusing people today? There's 750 million people in Europe today. The, high, the, 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 the area of the highest suicide rate in the world is Eastern Europe. And most people that are leaving the Catholic churches by the droves, by the way, in Europe, are not going to other religions. They're becoming atheist because they have been so disillusioned and abused by religion. What we got to do is we got to emulate our Lord. We got to go where they are. Whether it be right up this street, White Mills Road, I believe it is, or whether it's across the water, across the world. We got to go where they are. And when we go, we got to have compassion. You say, well, I don't believe you have to have compassion on people to win them. You're not going to win many people to God if you don't have a little love of God in you. Amen. I don't know all the purposes of why God chose Israel. I know many of them because God tells us. And one of the reasons that they're called the chosen people of God is because He chose them to be a light under the Gentile nations, a witness to the Gentile nations. You turn in your Bibles to where we are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know what you'll find? You'll find that they were not only not being a light to the Gentiles, they hated them. They despised them. They were critical of them. They looked at them and called them dogs. Saul, before he ever got saved, would have never gone in a Gentile's house because he would have been, quote, contaminated and made dirty by those dirty dogs called Gentiles. And yet that was one of the purposes God chose Israel was to be a witness to the Gentile peoples of this world. You know what I fear about this Calvary Baptist and my Calvary Baptist? I know it's possible, but I don't fear that you're going to go into apostasy. I know you won't long as that preacher's here. Amen. But what I fear is if we're not careful, we'll have dry eyes and a cold heart. It's compassion we got to have. Compassion. May God help us to have compassion on this old world. I spent the month of uh, May in, in Europe. I had four goals. I wish I had time to tell you about them. God met all four of them, including people to be saved. Had people saved in England. Led a, led a German lady, about 30 years old, to the Lord at midnight on a train. I, I thought about Acts 16 in jail. Amen. But anyway. And, uh, but I went into Slovenia. And that was one of the... I'd already had it planned. Did you know if you were 100 years old, if you are in Slovenia today and you're 100 years old, you've never had a copy of the Bible. You have never had the written Word of God. If you're 150 years old, you've never had the written Word of God. And faith comes by hearing, you know, and hearing by the Word of God. They don't have a Bible. And there's a group, there was a man got saved 12 years ago out of the Roman Catholic Church. He was a scholar, well-known, articles in the paper. In fact, when he got saved and realized he'd been deceived all those years, the newspapers in Austria, the major newspapers in Austria and Slovenia, published the story about him getting saved. And as soon as he got saved, God said, my people here need a Bible. Of course, he knows the language. They took an old 1584 Bible based on the 
King James, Slovenian Bible, 1584. And all they're doing it word for word, just updating the spelling and the grammar and so forth so the people can read it. You know? But anyway, and uh, so I wanted to meet with those folks. And they begged me. They said, Preacher, we got to get it printed. We finished the New Testament. We'll have the Old Testament finished in a year or two. We got to get it printed. And I met in the capital city with him and two other men and three missionaries, one of our Macedonian missionaries. And we begged God that we could find a printer. I want to testify that God has answered prayer. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a Christian group in Budapest, Hungary, who is going to print 30,000 New Testaments free of charge. I thought I'd have to raise at least $100,000 and God's going to give it to us free. Isn't that wonderful? I'm telling you, when you have compassion on people and you start praying and you ask the Heavenly Father, brother, He's there to work. Amen. I'm glad He will. You say, well, preacher, I can't do much in missions. Can I give you a little statement I've, I've just picked up? I don't know if I got it from somebody or made it up, but anyway. You know what? Everybody can have a part, but let me tell you, your heart will determine your part. If you have a heart, you'll have a part. I guarantee you that. Not only our Lord's commission, I'm about through. Not only our Lord's compassion, but I want us you to notice our Lord's concern. You say, well, you've already told us about His concern for souls. That's not what this verse I'm getting ready to read you is, was His concern. Look at verse 37. Then said He unto His disciples, these are believers, these are people who've experienced the grace of God like many of us in this building have. Those that have been blessed with His presence. He said the harvest, the people of this world truly is plenteous. There's a lot of them. But there's a problem that I'm concerned about and that is the laborers are few. It is not the unsaved sinner that He's referring to here. It's the unconcerned saint. It's amazing. I don't know where they get all these statistics but if they're anywhere near right, it's amazing. 7.3 billion people. And they say that half of the people of this world have never heard a clear enough presentation of the gospel to make a decision of whether to receive or reject Jesus Christ. That's hard to comprehend, isn't it? And God said the problem is not the grace of God, it's not the power of God, it's not the goodness of God, it's not the compassion of God. Is few laborers. We've got to have laborers. Now listen, the laborers he's talking about are not just those who get on airplanes and go across the water. It's grandmamas sitting right here, nanas, it's pawpaws, it's mimis. Brother, it's men and women and it's teenagers and it's young people who have Christ living in your heart. Yeah. We do it here in the Jerusalem, but we go out all over the world. And we do need it. I'm begging God. I know we met last night, we're meeting this morning and tonight. I'm begging God to raise up a missionary today. To raise up a young man, a young lady, a couple that would be willing to say, I'll go. I'll go across the sea or wherever God wants me. I want to be a solution to the problem. I don't want to be part of the problem. Amen. Isn't it amazing how he said we solved the problem? I probably wouldn't have used this one. Verse 38, I said, man, let's go. He said, wait a minute before you go, pray. Therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe prayer is the missing ingredient to world evangelism. We've seen, I, we saw more done at our church through prayer. And I know you've got to put feet to your prayer. We had visitation programs like y'all do. We had bus ministries like y'all do. We sent missionaries like y'all do. 
But I tell you, you've got to have some praying people. Amen. You've got to have some praying people. And all of us ought to be praying yes, people. Sir. Could I tell you a story? And I'm going I'm to give you an illustration and then we'll go home. Could I tell you about a group of people? True, they lived, there were hundreds of thousands of them. They lived many centuries ago. And we have historical records that they were very wicked people, very ungodly people, very barbaric people, very cruel, very ferocious kind of people. I mean, everybody feared them. They say when this group of people would leave their country to go out and to conquer a city, that by the time they knocked the walls or the gates down to get to the people, that half of the people were already dead because they had committed suicide rather than fall into the hands of these barbaric, wicked people. They were so wicked, they would probably be worse than ISIS that we deal with in our, country, or in our world today. These were bad people. I mean filthy, dirty, nasty, ferocious, evil people. But every one of those people had something in common with everybody in this building, including the babies in the nursery. God loved them. And so we have historical facts that God told one of his preachers, one of his believers, because God loves people like that too, you know. See, I'm convinced that God loves that little man and his wife and children that are kneeling on the banks of the Amazon River this morning, worshiping an idol as much as he loves any little child in your Sunday school this morning. So God said to his preacher, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach to those people. Forty days and you're going to be overthrown. Boy, that didn't even have a whole lot of hope in that message. It was really a message of judgment. It was. You know the account. I don't have to go into detail. But old Jonah went the opposite direction. Away from God. So he knew those people. He knew them well. And he knew what they would do to his people if they had half a chance. And later, by the way, did. And he probably thought, well, Lord, they don't deserve anything. They ought to go to hell. I, I'm somebody, but they're nobodies. And off he went. Boy, when he got down to Joppa, there was a boat waiting on him to get on and took off. I found out, preacher, that if you want to get away from God and the will of God, you just, hey, the devil will provide you transportation. Amen. Amen. He got down there and got on the boat. And you know the account. Storm came up. And if you'll study Jonah, you'll find out that the sailors, all the sailors on that ship were pagans. They were heathens. They were ungodly people. They worshipped all kinds of gods. And they were trying to save the ship and they thought they were going to lose it. One of them went down in the heart of the ship and found old Jonah asleep and woke him up and said, Man, what are you doing? That's Baker translation. Said, What are you doing? Said, You need to wake up and pray to your God. And he realized that he was the problem. And I want you to know that those heathens and pagans had more compassion than he did because if you'll read the account in the book of Jonah when he told them if you just throw me overboard it'll solve the problem and the storm will stop did you know they didn't just toss him over they tried to save the ship without having to toss him over and they kept on working to save the ship and when they saw it was going to be lost they threw him over and you know God had prepared a great fish whale big fish whatever you want to call it a big fish I guess the Bible says and he didn't know it, but he was getting... And by the way, that old fish swallowed him right up. And you know what he did? That day he entered into whale university. Because God was going to teach him some things in that whale. 
and he graduated in just three days and three nights. Boy, he learned his lesson. And he repented and said, I'll go. If you read the account in Jonah, he had seaweed. It describes him inside that belly of the fish. He had seaweed. Oh, can you imagine the gastric juices in that old fish working on the pigment of his skin, discoloring him? And after a while, that old God's bidding went over to the edge of the shore. Out old Jonah went on the seashore. Now, I've never figured out, preacher, whether God just kind of took his hand and punched him up under a fin and made that old fish spit old Jonah out. Or whether a backslidden preacher will make even a fish sick and he threw him up and got him out. I don't know which it is. Could be one, could be the other, but it don't make a lot of difference. And old Jonah went to Nineveh. Now, he got to town. No wonder they paid attention to him. If you'd smelt like he did and looked like he did and so forth. But he didn't have a great message of hope. He had a message really of judgment. And he preached it to all those hundreds of thousands of people. And can I tell you, and I'm going to make a statement. Well, let me, let me give you a little background and then I'll make a statement. There was something happened in that evangelistic campaign that has never happened that we have in, in the Bible or in history before the Bible or since the Bible has been written. The greatest evangelistic meeting that's ever taken place on planet earth as far as we know happened with those wicked, vile, ungodly people. You know how many of them got saved? Every one of them. From the king, for anybody over the age of accountability, from the king all the way down to the lowliest servant got saved. Now here's my statement. And it's not really theologically correct, but God knows why I'm going to say it this way. And you'll understand why I'm going to say it. Because there's nothing hard for God to do if God wants to do it, right? Now I'm going to, I'm going to say something contrary to that. But it's, it's, I, that's the only way I know how to say it. It was harder for God to get his believer to go tell those people that need to be saved than it was for God to save all of those wicked, ungodly people. Preacher, we're living in the last days. Nobody's going to get saved. If you want to get discouraged, and I love preachers, and I, am, I are one of them, you go down to Hardy's and McDonald's and find five or six preachers in a little group, and you sit down and listen to them a while, and they'll try to convince you, young preachers, that God's not doing anything in this world and He can't do anything in this world because we're living in the last days. Well, don't tell people in Central Africa where there's a great movement of God going on. Don't tell the gypsies in Europe that there's a great movement in evangelistic meetings going on over there. Don't tell people here at Calvary Baptist when God is saving souls. I'm just telling you, let me tell you, here's a problem. The problem is not with God nor His saving grace. And I know our culture is changing. I understand that. But brother, I'm going to tell you, faith comes by hearing. And they're not hearing because we're not telling. Can I say this in close? I know we've gone over a little bit. Can I tell you this real quick and I'm through? You know, you know, used to we'd have revival meetings. And again, I know our culture's affected some of this. Used to have revival meetings, you could just have a crowd of unsaved people. I mean, you never had a revival meeting that you knew. I mean, you just knew there were going to be a lot of lost people there. You don't find many lost people coming to revival meetings anymore. You know, one of the problems, most of us sitting in this building... Come on now, let's just be Nobody here but us and God, so let's be honest. Most of us sitting in this building this morning, we do not have an unsaved friend. We have unsaved family, but we don't have an unsaved friend. 
Well, the reason I don't have unsaved friends because I believe in Bible separation. That's not Bible separation. That's, bi- that's, that's not Bible. That's isolation. Listen, I'm not going to befriend an old boy and then go down to the bar and drink with him. I'm not going to befriend my neighbor and let him come over to the house for a barbecue and bring his cans of beer with him either. But I'm going to befriend him so that I can have an opportunity to earn a little bit of trust. I can witness to him and win him to Jesus. And if you befriend people, listen, if you, if you, if you befriend people, we have, I help churches. I've done about, had helped about 10 of them. And it's nothing about me. It's just, I tried, I failed so many times at it. I finally got it right. And I thought I'd share it with preachers how to do it. But I help churches with friend days. You can just about double or over double your attendance. And most of them will be lost people and unchurched people. Church in Lexington just did it here two, three weeks ago. They run 90 in attendance. I said, you better get ready for a crowd, buddy. If you do it like I'm telling you, do it. You better get ready. You got to get everything ready. Get your nurseries ready. Get your parking ready. You got to move some people down the road. You own people so you have room. He said, you reckon we'll have that many? I said, if you work it, you will. You know how many of that church running 90 had a few Sundays ago? 271. I've seen seven out of eight churches, eight out of nine churches doubling their attendance. You know why? Because people started befriending lost people. And after they befriended them, they asked them, would you come and be my friend? I'd hate to show up at church and not have a friend. After a while, the lost man feels sorry for you. He'll come just because he he wants you to have a friend. I'm just saying there's a world out there, and the Lord of the harvest set a good example. He said, as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you now. That means you've got to get out where the people are, all over the world, all over this town. He said, and when you go, ask God to give you some love and some compassion. And that old boy sitting on the street with a sign, I work for food, you know he won't work. But you know what? That could be me instead of him. You say, he brought it on himself. Most of my problems I brought on myself too. So we've got to see him through the eyes of Jesus, have compassion. And then last of all, we don't want to be a problem of no, we want to be a solution to the problem. And we want to be God's laborers. Amen. Amen. And I praise the Lord for you this morning. You may be here this morning, and we're preaching about winning people around the world. You might be here this morning sitting in this auditorium, and you're just like everybody sitting in here was at one time lost. You see, everybody in here you see with a nice shirt and tie, nice dress and dress modest and all that, they used to be just as lost as you are. I used to be just as lost as you are. I went to church. Those people, a lot of them were saved, but boy, was I lost. And could I tell you that God loves you this morning? You could not have chosen, however you got here, been in a better church than you're in this morning because you're in a church that doesn't look down on people. They love people. And they want to see you give your heart to Jesus so you can have what they have. Oh, I'm telling you, if somebody had told me 30 days before I got saved that I would enjoy going to church, I would have said, you're nuts. You're nuts. I wouldn't. Nobody goes to church because they want to. If you had told me I would be giving my money, you're crazy as a bed bug. And if you told me a year and a half later I'd be a preacher, man, you've gone off your rocker now, buddy. It's amazing how God changes you from the inside out. And He did it. And He can do it for you. Amen. This church loves you. Not asking you if you're unsaved now to come join the church this morning. Not asking you to just make, in fact, we're not even asking you to make a speech. We ask you to come, let somebody just pray with you so you can tell God what's on your heart this morning. Because you see, there's a Savior who died for you. 
They placed him in a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to need it long. And then he was resurrected from the dead. And he's alive. And he loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of these people this morning. And I do pray for that dear man. He, he's kinda, he feels awkward this morning. I felt that way when I went to church. I hadn't been to church in years after I got married. And Lord, I, I pray for that dear lady and for that young person today. Uh, Lord, whoever they are today, they might feel a little awkward, a little troubled in their heart. And if they feel troubled, that's because the Holy Spirit's troubling them. And Lord, there's something that will take care of that troubled heart, and that is the grace of God. May they come to Jesus and let somebody pray with them this morning. Just have prayer with them. Won't embarrass them, won't make them make a speech to the congregation, but just show them and help them and pray with them so they can get saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, Lord, before we close out this prayer, I'm begging you. I'm asking you, Lord, you know the, you know the fields are plenteous and the labors are few, so raise up some labors. And I know there's a lot of labors in this building. But I pray for that couple. They've been thinking about it. That man's been dwelling on it. And Lord, he's been thinking about going to the mission field. He don't know where maybe. He don't know how. He don't know when. But he knows something's going on in his soul. May he come and whisper something to his preacher this morning. That this preacher, and if he wants to, the church to pray for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Heads are bowed. I'm, I'm sorry. What song, brother? Y'all just play. Oh, they're going to sing. All right, wonderful. Listen, don't do anything to please this preacher or your preacher, but do everything to please God. Don't look to see what others are going to do. You just come right on, mind the Lord. Maybe there's one area. Maybe it's your going to where people are that you're failing in. Or maybe you're going, but you don't have compassion, and you won't ask God this morning, oh, to shed the love abroad more in your heart. Or maybe you are one of the problems, and you want to become a solution. Maybe God has spoken to your heart about missions. Maybe you're a young lady. Maybe you're a young man. I promise you, if you're a young lady or a young man, and you say, but I'm single, preacher. Oh, God will take care of the details. You just mind him and obey him and love him. Sing, sister, brother. <clears throat> God's spoken to hearts this morning. You come and mind the Lord. Listen to the words. Listen to them. I can see it. How about it, teenagers? Give God first choice of your life.
Would you bow your heads with me just a moment? Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. I wonder if there'd be someone here today and nobody's looking around, just you and God today. And you would say, Preacher, if I died today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I know Christ is my Savior. I wonder when you pray, preacher, if you remember me in prayer. If I died today, I don't know I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I'm saved. Would you remember me in prayer? I wonder if you just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Would you do it right now? Just slip it up, preacher. If I died right now, I can't say for sure I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up? Would you do it? Thank you, sweetie. You can put it down. Someone else today? Sir, what about you? Ma'am, what about you? Jesus loves you. He changed your life. Would you slip your hand up let me pray for you right now? Just slip it up and say, Preacher, I want you to pray for me. I need prayer. If I died right now, I don't know I'd go to heaven. Preacher, I don't want to go to hell. I need prayer. Would you slip it up right now? Would you do it? See, from my perspective today, I see several people God's dealing with. No doubt today God's dealing with you. People need the Lord. Sir, you know you need Christ. He changed your life. You know that. Your eyes tell me that. Right now, tell me that. You need Jesus. He changed your life. Give you hope you never had. Peace you never had. He changed your life. You need the Lord. You need the Lord. I wonder right now if you just say, Preacher, you're right. Would you pray for me? Just slip that hand up. Nobody look around me, you and the Lord. Could I pray for you right now? Would you say, preacher, I need that prayer. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all, would you do it? This is an decision you ought to think about for all eternity. Father, I thank you this morning. God, there's no doubt you're working. There's no doubt your spirit's present. There's no doubt today that the seed's been planted and that the Holy Ghost is at work. And God, I pray, don't let someone that doesn't know Christ have rest on their pillow this evening until they make things right with you. Lord, thank you today for your presence in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen.